y'all just y'all keep listening to the music for a minute. The Apple event just wrapped up. I'm I'm just seeing what 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 happened. <laughs> uh, looks like I got to get a new monitor now. Maybe maybe a new computer. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Finally. They're, they're releasing new, let's see, what is the size of the monitor? 27-inch 5K retina display. My gosh, center stage nano texture glass tilt and high studio quality mics. My goodness. Uh, yeah, oh, wait, no, that's the Mac Studio. Yeah, the studio display, $15.99. Oh, man. Wow, somebody, wow, might need to go take a cold shower all of a sudden. My gosh, look at that. And, oh, and the Mac Pro, they're still, they're teasing a Mac. Welcome, I'm sorry. I right, Listen, this is the downside of having a midday show. Now, Apple releases their goodness, and I, I got to be here with you. I love you guys, but I love Apple more. <laughs> if you would like to call in and be a part of this program, you're allowed. 877 973 7425. You're you're more than welcome. Right now, let's just make everybody mad. Huh? I I want to play for you a clip. This is from Bill Barr, Donald Trump's attorney general, asked about the future. He's making everybody's head explode with this. Well, I certainly have made it clear. I don't think he should be our nominee, and I'm going to, you know, support somebody else for the nominee. But if he is the nominee and you have your choices, Donald Trump or whoever's running on the Democratic side, would you vote for him? Uh, because I believe that the, the greatest threat to the country is the progressive agenda being pushed by the Democratic Party. It's inconceivable to me that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. So even if he lied about the election and threatened democracy, as you write in your book. Well, it's, well, it's better hard, than a Democrat. It's hard to project what the facts are going to turn out to be three years hence. But as of now, it's hard for me to conceive that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. All right. Philip, you're going to want you're going to want to put this one out. Bill Barr. Is Donald Trump's attorney general. He saw Donald Trump up close and personal. He's not a fan of Donald Trump. He talks about how the election wasn't stolen. There really wasn't evidence. So much of it was uh, manufactured nonsense that a lot of people have been lied to and they believe some people just want to believe willfully. Talked about not liking Donald Trump how behind the scenes Donald Trump really didn't know what he was doing but was surrounded by people who at least could guide him. So he'll do whatever he can to make sure Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee. And yet, when asked by a reporter if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, what will you do? And his answer is, I'll vote for him. The Democrats, you would think they might do some self-reflection on this, and instead they're screaming about people like Bill Barr. They're screaming about people like me. In 2016, I was asked 
given the choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, who would you vote for? And my response was a bullet. Didn't vote for Trump. Now, a lot of the reasons I didn't want to vote for Donald Trump turned out not to be. I I mean, the man was talking Planned Parenthood, praising him on the campaign trail. It's like, oh, he's going to get in and he's going to be actually pro-abortion, even though he says, I, don't, I, I was wrong about a lot of it. He proved me wrong. So 2020 comes, I vote for Trump. Have his family regularly on the program. I've been friends with Mike Pence for a very long time. I would prefer someone other than Donald Trump in 2024 myself. I still think character counts. In 2020, I could convince myself to vote for Trump because, you know, it's very clear no one's going to vote third party. I did in 2016, and that guy turned out to be a huge idiot and a disappointment. It's going to be a Republican or a Democrat. So between a Republican or a Democrat, if I'm going to vote, and I'm going to vote, I'm not going to sit it out. Who am I going to choose, the Democrat or the Republican? I'm going to choose the Republican. And, you know, there's never been any level of self-reflection from the Democrats on this. How could a guy like me who says character counts, who stood up to Donald Trump, who stood up to my listeners who were angry with me, some of them still are, who literally had people show up on my front porch to threaten my family, whose children were so bullied at school they had to move school, whose son got beat up because kids were telling my kids that I was destroying the country, their parents hated me, my kids lost all of their friends at school, and I held my ground. My kids were chased through a store by a man yelling at them that their father was destroying the country. And I held my ground. And then I got to 2020 and I said, you know what? A lot of my fears about Trump, they've been relieved. I still think he has terrible character. I still don't care for the guy. I still wish we could do better. But at this point, it's between him and the Democrats and I'm going with him. And you've got Bill Barr, the attorney general for Donald Trump, who does not like Trump, who thinks has a poor opinion of Trump, who saw him up close and personal in a way you and I have not, says he's unfit to be president. But if it's him or a Democrat, he's going with him. And the Democrats, I can't believe you would do that. How could you do that? As opposed to say, oh, my gosh, what have we done to make a whole lot of people think that we're worse than this guy who we see as a threat to democracy. Maybe it's because we see you as a bigger threat to our very existence. And you have no willingness to self-reflect on that. No willingness to think, what could we do? The Biden administration wants to spend billions of dollars on gender equity when Americans can't even fill up their car with gas. The Biden administration wants to bully people for accurately pointing out that a boy is not a girl and never can become one. The Biden administration wants to talk about gender equity, but put a boy in a girl's swimsuit, let him be on the girl's swim team, and you shut up, bigot, don't you say anything. The Biden administration still wants nuns to fund abortions. The Biden administration wants to cut an even worse deal with Iran than the Obama administration. Oh, it's bad, y'all, it's bad. 
Stuff's starting to leak out. It's bad that the Chinese and the Russians know more about what Biden wants to give to the Iranians than we do. The Biden administration, what we know based on leaks of people involved who are trying to warn everyone, is that the Biden administration is willing to get rid of sanctions on some of the worst backers of terrorism on planet Earth inside the Iranian regime. People who hang gay men by cranes to kill them. People who throw women into wood chippers and people who fund terrorists. The Biden administration wants to get rid of sanctions on them and allow them to travel the globe freely. And yet they wonder why any of us would support Donald Trump. Now, I don't think Donald Trump should be the Republican nominee in 2024. I'm with Bill Barr for a lot of reasons. Chief among them, beyond the character issues and all of that, and the core competencies, is that if Donald Trump were to win, he could only be president for four years. Why speak? spend an enormous amount of energy getting Donald Trump elected when the Constitution would prohibit him from serving a full uh, eight years. Four years, that's maximum under the Constitution. He could not serve again. He couldn't serve another term. Why expend that much energy to get one man elected for four years? We have the potential to get somebody elected for eight years who could fundamentally transform the country back to the way it should be by having eight years to pick judges, eight years to put people on the federal bench, eight years to shape policy, eight years to deregulate, and eight years to gut the deep state. Donald Trump, look at all the stuff Donald Trump did in four years. He would only have four more years when you could get a DeSantis or someone like that who potentially has eight years to keep it going. But what's remarkable to me in all of this is that the Democrats are so upset by a guy like Bill Barr saying, yes, I would prefer Donald Trump because I think progressives, even though I saw all of this behind the scenes, even though I saw Donald Trump try to throw out the election, even though I saw Donald Trump try to manufacture a conspiracy, even though I saw all of his supporters lie about a stolen election and try to keep him in power, even though I saw what happened on January 6th and I blame it on Donald Trump, the progressives are a bigger threat to America and I would go with him. You would think maybe the Democrats would say, huh? Why does half the country hate us that much? Why does half the country think they'd rather this orange dude from Florida have four more years than give us a shot? Why? There's no self-reflection on their part. None whatsoever. No Democrat is out there thinking, why do they hate us that much? Because they're bigots and they should die. You would think given people like Bill Barr, given people like me, given so many other Republicans who really don't care for Donald Trump, you would think the Democrats would think, maybe we should try to figure out why all of these people would still prefer him to us. And it's a damning indictment on them that they are incapable of doing that. It says way more bad about them than about Donald Trump that they can't do that. I believe and have always believed that whether you or I disagree, we should try to be honest, intellectually honest. And I believe that as a Republican, an elected one in the past, as a conservative, someone who was once called one of the most influential members of the conservative movement. I believe I have an obligation to clean up my own side. 
I believe I have an obligation to police my own side. If I don't, the voters will. Rush Limbaugh and I used to have that. This was our ongoing conversation where we, we just, we disagreed with each other on this lovingly, but we disagreed. I always told him, I was like, look, if someone comes in and says they're conservative and they're not, we have an obligation to call them out. Otherwise, we dilute what it means to be a conservative. I can't show up and call myself the king of England and expect people to, to give me that. But on the left now, you can show up and call yourself a girl. And, and if you don't believe it, shut up, bigot. I was like, I, we shouldn't be like this on the right. And Rush would take the position opposite me that that we it's not for us to clean up the conservative movement. It's for the conservative movement to clean up the conservative movement. And, and I just think I'm a part of it. I should do it. And we just we, we, we would always go back and forth on this issue and where do you draw the lines and stuff. But we always had this common agreement that if our side becomes the other side, we will absolutely say something. We believed in a robust conservative movement. My view, it's the unpopular view within the conservative movement, that, that we should police the conservative movement. And we should tell people, the hijackers of the movement who are coming in, no, you're not a conservative. Just because you like Donald Trump, I, I, I know a guy who calls me a moderate because I'm not a huge Trump fan. I'm pro-life, not open borders, strong defense, hard on crime, want more police, small government, a government so small you can drown into the bathtub if he gets out of hand, low taxes. I mean, I, I can't think of the things where I'm a liberal on, although I've gotten a, a little more moderate on immigration. That's about the only only thing. And yet this buddy of mine says that I'm moderate because I'm not a Trump fan. You shouldn't define the intellectual movement of the Republican Party based on the support of one man. But on the, on the left, there's no policing at all. There's no moderation at all. There's no humility. There's no willingness to wonder, why would people who don't like Trump vote for Trump over us? Hillary Clinton never went to Wisconsin or Erie, Pennsylvania. She lost. And the Democrats were so convinced of her winning and her righteousness, they couldn't conceive of the fact that her campaign screwed up, so they had to invent a mythology that the Russians stole the election for Donald Trump. They took bits and pieces of truth, and they manufactured a lie that they still believe to this day. They're incapable of wondering, how could a guy like Bill Barr or an Eric Erickson, who's not a fan of Donald Trump, Resolve to support him over the left. What about the left makes us do that? What can we fix? And they're never going to change. And you know what? That means if Donald Trump's the Republican nominee in 2024, he's probably going to win, given the excesses of the left under Biden. And who could blame people for voting for him? No one could. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan Nationwide. If you are in charge of the finances of a small business, First Liberty can help your business grow. You need access to big loans. We're talking $750,000 and more. 
you need to reach out to First Liberty Building Loan because uh, they can help you and they want to. They've been doing this since the early 90s where a lot of big banks are saying, yeah, we're not going to help you. First Liberty is saying yes. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you spend 10 minutes with them. You get all their contact info there um, and uh, see if they can help. Now, we got to move on. We got stagflation upon us. But before I get there, I want to play this clip from Joy Reid. Yes, that's right. I made Charlie cut up this clip. I feel like when I make him cut up the Don Lemon clips and the Joy Reid clips that I got to play them because I, I need him to know that his his effort of listening to these idiots was, was worth it. This is Joy Reid. Now, what we're seeing in Ukraine is absolutely the worst humanitarian crisis that Europe has seen in decades. But we haven't witnessed the same type of solidarity for the Yemenis as we do for the Ukrainians. We don't see historic sanctions or global campaigns, corporations like Airbnb and Netflix taking a stand. And this is not to say that we shouldn't care this much for Ukraine. Far from it. The point is we should also care this much for refugees and those facing occupation and war in the Middle East and Asia and Africa, too. The coverage of Ukraine has revealed a pretty radical disparity in how human Ukrainians look and feel to Western media compared to their browner and blacker counterparts, with some reporters using very telling comparisons in their analyses of the war. Now, listen, she's trying to make it a race thing, and I get that. It is absolutely true. It is honestly true, and I think we should acknowledge uh, that there's there's some merit to her criticism. I, I actually, I want to credit Joy Reid here. She's right. We genuinely, as Americans, don't tend to pay as much attention to the fighting in Yemen, or the fighting in Syria or Libya, or in various African countries, uh, the issues with the Sudanese and the Somalis. We don't. But also, I think that they should acknowledge there are lots of reasons beyond race that this happens. In particular, Ukraine is the first major land war in Europe since World War II. The Russians have invaded a sovereign nation. We haven't seen something like this. These other squabbles and fights have been going on for decades, if not longer, which makes them a fundamentally different issue. We have tuned those out. They are far away. They are not in Europe. It has nothing to do with Europe being white. It has Europe being Europe. It means something different. And if she can't distinguish it and can only see it through a racial lens, that's her problem, not yours and not mine. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I need to introduce you guys to a word. You may have heard this word in the past. You may have thought it did not apply to us, but it does. It's called stagflation. Stagflation is when nothing really happens. The economy doesn't grow. High inflation and high unemployment and stagnant demand. That's kind of sort of where we are as a country. Soaring commodity prices. This is from Tom Fairless at the Wall Street Journal. Soaring commodity prices, sweeping financial sanctions, and the potential for a ban on energy imports from Russia after it invaded Ukraine are threatening to hobble a global economy still weakened by COVID-19. 
They are also complicating the task of central banks that have been preparing to phase out easy money. On both sides of the Atlantic, inflation is at levels that haven't been seen for decades and still rising. Global stock markets are wilting. The dollar is surging against other currencies as investors rush for the safety of U.S. assets. Economists are increasingly warning of a possible bout of stagflation, particularly in Europe, a situation of high inflation and low growth that afflicted major economies during the 70s. Back then, central banks responded to a surge in oil prices with easy money policies that caused a wage price spiral. Now some central banks might give up on their plans to increase interest rates after keeping them down during the pandemic. It's going to be increasingly hard to ignore the comparisons to the 1970s as the commodity price action is increasingly resembling it, says Jim Reed, a strategist at Deutsche Bank. At rate-setting meetings scheduled over the next week, the European Central Bank and U.S. Federal Reserve are being expected until recently to move rapidly to phase out easy money policies. Both are now likely to be cautious, reflecting new economic risk. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell told congressional officials last week that Russia's invasion of Ukraine was likely to push up inflation and said he would propose a quarter percent point interest rate increase at next week's meeting, effectively ending speculation over a larger half percentage point increase. We probably do need to raise interest rates. But there's more going on here as well. LME halts nickel trading after unprecedented 250% spike. That's the London Metal Exchange's LME. They have suspended trading in nickel. There was a 250% increase. It began to trade at over $100,000 a ton on Tuesday. That's today. This morning was overseas in the afternoon. The largest move came as investors and industrial users who had sold the metal scrambled to buy the contracts back after prices rallied because Russia is a major supplier. And the Chinese have been buying it up. And there's instability. You know, one of the problems with all of this is the Europeans import an extraordinary amount of gas from Russia and fertilizer and methanol and sapphire and rare earth minerals. Now the sapphire is used in glasses and lenses for microscopes and things like that for scientific research. Rare earth minerals in a lot of industrial development these days and a lot of scientific instruments, the Europeans have poured a lot of money into research. Uh, the, the, uh, what, the, the Large Hadron Collider, uh, space research and the like, they've been pouring a lot of, of resources into that. It takes rare earth metals, takes a lot of sapphire, and they're dependent on Russia. You know, it, it just it is remarkable to watch Western economies handle world affairs right now. The, the expert thought and expert thinking has been this, that as countries trade, it makes war less likely. Thomas Friedman has seen a whole lot of his theses in his books sink. One of the things Thomas Friedman said is that countries that sell Big Macs 
don't go to war against countries that sell Big Macs. Not true. But after World War II, even during the Cold War, trade in Western countries and then expanding uh, with the fall of the Soviet Union uh, into former East Bloc countries became so expansive and the world stabilized so much, people kind of forgot. There's been a lot of outrage about Russia now and what it can and cannot do. Uh, this is uh, Representative, I think, Louis uh, Ruiz, who was on uh, MSNBC talking about the Russians and uh, international humanitarian law. You know, the number one frustration on the ground by the humanitarian community, and I'm a trained humanitarian aid specialist in my international emergency medicine uh, specialty as well, John, is that the security for non-combatant hum- international neutral humanitarians is, is, is poor. And so they're very reluctant to go in <clears throat> and because they're hearing of the abuses uh, of Vladimir Putin's uh, army on the non-combatants. But it is vital that we continue to put pressure as an international community on Vladimir Putin to honor international humanitarian law. There are women, children, disabled, uh, the elderly, those with chronic illnesses, those in hospitals that need to be evacuated yesterday, but, uh, but they're unable to because Vladimir Putin's continuing to target civilians, targeting hospitals, which is a violation of international humanitarian law, and we need security. So the United States needs to provide the military and the humanitarian aid necessary for Ukrainian is to protect their their airspace uh, and if if this continues then the United States needs to go into uh, uh, further strong negotiations with the parties using the United Nations in a diplomatic way to enforce a humanitarian protected corridor to get those individuals out y'all when it's minor nations, I, I listen, I, I, I don't mean this disparagingly. I, I just, I, I'm realizing that there are a lot of people who they're living by a set of rules that we have the luxury of living by when it was not the major powers involved. Now, here's what I mean by that. When it's small nations, not on the world stage, when it's, let's say, Honduras and El Salvador, just, just or Nicaragua and Honduras, or Nicaragua and Costa Rica, somewhere in Central America. When it's uh, those countries fighting each other, the Russians and the Americans and the Chinese may take sides. But we can say, international law applies. The humanitarian routes must be protected, and we will intervene if you do not keep those routes open. We are America. We are Russia. We are China. We can do this. When it's not the major powers, it becomes easy. What was the soccer war? Uh, Who was it? Uh, The football war. Yeah, El Salvador and Honduras. That was the one I was thinking of. It was a military conflict in 1969. Uh, tensions uh, had bubbled up over soccer games. 
The Organization of American States negotiated a ceasefire. It was a 100-hour war. El Salvadorian troops invaded Honduras. It really wasn't due to football. There was more to it than that, but there were rioting and, and uh, land reform laws and, and um, ultimately the spillover came from the rioting after it was a FIFA World Cup qualifier and the war broke out. And the, the Western powers through the Organization of American States and, and others, they, they descended and imposed will of the international order on these countries. You cannot impose the will of the international order on Russia when Russia is one of the key players with a permanent seat on the Security Council of the United Nations. Your international humanitarian laws don't really apply there. I'm sorry, they don't. Your rules of war don't apply. Your Geneva Convention doesn't really apply. You know, the, the, it's, it's, it's against the Geneva Convention to be putting up pictures and videos of POWs, and yet Ukraine is noticed on nobody screaming about uh, the Geneva Convention right now. The rules of war are there's a winner and a loser, and whoever is the most ruthless and violent and biggest thug tends to be the one who wins, and then he gets to set the rules and declare he never broke the international order. That's the way it works. I'm sorry. I don't make those rules. History does. And everybody's like, oh, they, they've got to comply with the UN treaties. they got to comply with the international war laws. they got to comply with international law. they got to comply with the humanitarian. They should. Oh, they should. But the Russians have been opening corridors for people to escape Ukraine and then bombing them and killing them. Now, if the whole world gets together and says, Vladimir Putin, you are a war criminal, Russia, hand him over. What do you think Russia's going to do? Da or Niet. Or six more week of winter. I, I look, what are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? The odds of Russia handing over Vladimir Putin, unless something goes really wrong for him, and it could, are slim to none. And so what's the international what's the international order gonna do? They're gonna keep the sanctions on the Russian people? They're gonna build it if he gets out of Ukraine? No. No, the international rules of war and law and humanitarian assistance, it'd be great if they applied, but war is hell. In fact, I, I heard somebody point out the other day, war is actually worse than hell because everyone who goes to hell deserves to be there, and most of the people who go to war don't and don't want to be there. We probably need to wake up and realize that the academic view of war is different from the real world view of war. All the time we have academics tell us the way things are or ought to be. In the real world, things are rarely that way. In the real world, there are bad guys and good guys and evil is very real and sometimes it's very nuanced. Sometimes evil doesn't seem evil to a good group of people who aren't bad guys. Sometimes life is more complex than the textbook and the academic lecture. It would be great if Russia would honor international law and humanitarian needs. It'd be great if they did. 
But if they don't, there's no one you can sue. You can't go to court and get an injunction against a military power at war. Can you imagine the Russians invaded? Oh, well, no, no, we got an injunction against you. The International Court in The Hague says you're not allowed to invade. A lot of good that's going to do you. War is different. And you know what happens when war comes to you? Uh, you know, Donald Trump the other day or uh, actually said, someone asked him about Zelensky's bravery, and he says, I don't know. It was actually a very mature, good, responsible answer. He just he, he, he would like to think that he would behave like Zelensky's behaving, but uh, you never know until you're tested. Uh, Quinnipiac did a poll. What would you do if the United States were invaded? A majority of Republicans and independents say they would stay and fight. A majority of Democrats said they would flee. Now, in fairness, it's women. Women are the ones more likely to flee than men. But in the Democratic pool, there were more women. And I want to try to be fair here on a difficult subject. But I, it kind of is an accurate assessment. As the Democratic Party becomes more of a party of women, and it is, majority of them say they would flee the country if it were invaded. Majority of men say they would stay and fight. As you should. If your country's being invaded, you stay and fight. You don't pick up and leave. Our country's not going to be invaded. We have too many guns. We're like Switzerland. Nobody wants to invade us. But it's an interesting, eye-opening view. The Democrats, they're not going to stay and fight. But here's the thing. Let's say we were invaded and, and people did stay and fight. Don't expect the rules of war to apply in the academic sense. The rules of war, they don't really, when you actually get into the heart of the matter, that they're not going to be there for you. What's going to be there for you is, well, a government, we hope, and if not the government, your gun. And that's going to kind of matter more than whether or not some people have sat around the table and gotten a treaty done and uh, some people have gotten together and decided that um, this is what we're going to do. It just simply, the world doesn't work the way the academics claim that the world is going to work. Never has, never will. And we probably need to understand that and recognize that on the ground in Russia right now. All right, before I get out of here, because my, my email is messed up, and, and Jim, I might have missed you. I don't have a – I do have a read here. That's what I thought. I couldn't remember. I got to tell you guys about Eden Pure, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the three-pack. You know, they've got a lot of – you should just go to Eden Pure and see all their products. But the supply chain issues have affected them like everyone else. But one thing they keep in stock because it's so popular is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. The reason they keep it in stock and it is so popular is because it works. It's a handheld air purifier. You can get three of them right now for less than $200. It means you're actually saving $200 as well and you get free shipping. And it wipes out odors. It wipes out smoky odors. It wipes out musty odors. It wipes out the fry odors in your kitchen. I, that's the one I use it for the most. But I travel with mine as well. If I get a rental car that's got garbage odors in it or a hotel room that's very musty, I can use the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and it just wipes out those odors. You get three of them by going to EdenPureDeals.com. Use the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200. You get free shipping. It's EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Well, uh, this one's going to make you laugh. Uh, the New York Times of all outlets has this story. 
socialists' response to war in Ukraine has put some Democrats on edge. The Democratic Socialists of America's views that the U.S. is an imperialist expansionist regime through NATO fueled Russia's invasion has created challenges for politicians aligned with the group. Yep. So if you don't know, the Democratic Socialists of America, that's that's a lot of the communists in the country, and I don't really mean that pejoratively, it's just true. When the Soviet Union fell and, and communism kind of collapsed in the West because it was all subsidized by the Soviet Union, they joined the Democratic Socialists of America. And the DSA has condemned the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, but has also urged the United States to, this is direct quote, withdraw from NATO and to end the imperialist expansionism that set the stage for this conflict. Now, you will note there are some people who claim to be on the right who also argue exactly like the DSA, that it was expansion of NATO that caused this. That's not actually true. And if you believe it because you heard somebody on TV saying that, I hate to disabuse you of this, but Ukraine entering NATO was not in the cards and was not on the table. It had been previously discussed and dismissed, and that's what people who talk about it uh, want to avoid saying. It was discussed, but it was dismissed. If you just say it was discussed, you're not being accurate because it was also dismissed. It wasn't on the table, but they hate NATO. There's an entire cottage industry of people out to get NATO, which would totally destabilize the Western order right now, but they don't care. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.